So I'm gonna let you intro this shit because you intro it way fucking better than I do. And I <laughs> shit, so no, you know, I do everything better than you, so it's okay. Um welcome everybody to the next installment of the P2 podcast. Our faithful leader is, Bryce is back from traveling from globe trotting and uh we've been discussing you know doing more of these more often we had a lot of good feedback on the last installment that we did today we're going to take some of your questions that you guys dropped us on instagram and just kind of have some fun with it um some of the stuff is uh kind of un undoing common lore uh attacking just ridiculous shit and then hopefully shedding some light on some pretty interesting topics that are swirling around in the fitness space today. So thank you for joining us. Make sure you tune in. Um, you can look at our beautiful faces on YouTube. You can also just listen to us in the car on, you know, Apple Music, Spotify. Uh, again, as Bryce puts it, anyone who will take our fucking money. So um, exactly. take a look. Yeah. And if you want to create a new streaming service and you also want our money, by all means, reach out to us and let us know. We will pay you money. Um, cool. Let's go ahead and dive in. Yeah. Like what Chris said. We're going to try and do something a little bit different. We're going to continue kind of just with like the the normal podcast episodes that we have with guests and, and talking and just ranting and raving and all that good stuff. Um, but we also want to add in a few, I guess, more special podcast segments that we have. So this one's going to be more rapid fire Q&A. Um, it's not going to be super formal. We're probably going to fuck up a lot of stuff. We're probably going to go off on tangents that are not meant to be go gone off on, but we will do our best to get through as many questions as we can. Uh, do we want to give ourselves what, like 30 minutes to just get through as much shit as possible or what? That sounds good. I mean, who cool. probably won't honor that shit, but you know, I, I was actually even getting ready to say quick digression in the beginning. Tell the world how you enjoyed Italy because you fucking, in, in three sentences, how'd you enjoy Europe? Uh, three sentences? Yep. Oh, um, Sentence one, it was hot. Sentence two, I don't like paying for water or to pee. Sentence three, it was fucking beautiful. And beautiful. That's about all I've got. So yeah, Italy was amazing. Um, I love Italy. If you've never been to Italy, you should go to Italy. Spend as much time as possible there. But yeah, let's go ahead and dial it really well. Yeah, let's go ahead and dive into this before my brain officially short circuits this afternoon. Let's do I'll it. Like, you want to go? You wanna go? I want to go. Yeah, like volley that shit back and forth. Or do you want to? I'll go first. I'll, I'll I'll ask you a question first, and then we will take it from there to see how this yeah. goes. All right. So, oh, question number one. All right, Chris, what is the most effective advanced training technique? So the options given here are drop sets, supersets, or giant sets. But you can go ahead and include. Any other intensity techniques or, as what was stated here, advanced training techniques that you can think of um, most effective or maybe just like your favorite, the one that you prefer? Mm -hmm. um, I, I got to qualify this question with the one that you won't fuck up. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's typically my rule of thumb. Like there's a, I have my own biases on, on movements I like or, you know, approaches, designs that I like. But, you know, if, if a person can't execute it well, whether it be they don't like it or they're just not there yet, um, then it's not it's not the best. Right. So you, you definitely want to go with the one that you're not going to fuck up. And so my initial answer would be probably drop sets because it's one that everyone's super familiar with. Um, definitely overused. You know, people, I think this, they drop set everything like I'm trans fucking intense, man. Look at me. 
um, which is definitely not the way to go, but it's definitely the one that I think most people understand the best. As far as like for me personally, I think that I like probably mile reps or cluster sets um, are probably two of my favorites. Uh, mile reps are just like fucking miserable. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities between the two, so it makes sense that I'd like both. Um, I think cluster sets bring a, like a gamify the, or gamifying of the of the training because you know you got to this top set. It's like all right, great. And now you have something that looks like pretty fucked in front of you just because it says five by five or five by eight or whatever for progressing it. Maybe we start at three, four, five. Um, and it sounds like, okay, this looks fucked up, but also it doesn't seem like it should be that bad. But then by like set three, you're like, there's no fucking way I'm completing this. And then you finish it. And like the rush of like that, that runner's high always sets in for me. It's like, I almost died, but I didn't. So <laughs> that's good. Let's go ahead and continue. So that's definitely um how i'd categorize it drop sets for unfuckability and then um cluster and myos for like i think just efficiency and fun no yeah i agree with cl cluster sets i would say that cluster sets would that would be my answer if i'm strictly talking about intensity techniques but um the question had supersets added in and i like i wouldn't consider supersets as an advanced training technique necessarily i think that supersets is so there there's something that even beginners can utilize. Uh, it's more of just like a logistical thing and oftentimes like um, an efficiency and time-saving thing. But if we're going to include supersets, I'll say supersets because I think that supersets are universally beneficial and they can be incredibly um, versatile as well as a technique. If we're talking strictly more of like intensity techniques, I, I would say cluster sets. I utilize cluster sets a lot. Um, I think... Clusters are good in between between something like a rest pause and like what you mentioned, myo reps. So I would say cluster sets there. For sure. And then to your point, I think that's actually like pretty interesting that someone said like supersets because like you said, typically we were like, oh, this is a place where we're going to get some more volume. This is a place where we're going to shift our intention and our focus a bit. Um, and I think that obviously you could make the argument that, okay, well, you know what? I'm thinking less about intensifying this movement pattern and more about intensifying a stimulus to a muscle group, right? And so um, if a superset is designed correctly, you know, in a way where one, you know, potentiate, potentiates the other, potentiates the output of the other, or if one maybe taxes your system in a certain way and the other allows you to continue to push that muscle group, um, then obviously, like, yeah, I think that'd be a very, very efficient, quote unquote, like intensity technique. Yeah, definitely. Um, at risk of getting off on a side tangent, let's go ahead and move on because I could yeah. need to add to that. It was definitely all right. I'm going to hit you with uh, the lighter questions first. We'll save the heavy hitters for the end. Um, is overtraining a myth or a legitimate concern? Um, it is a myth for strength athletes. It's a legitimate concern for endurance athletes. Or hybrid athletes, um, because I say hybrid athletes to include like CrossFitters, anyone who is going to include a large volume of training into their protocols. And oftentimes those large volumes of training are going to coincide with like some kind of calorie restriction. So like if you're trying to make a weight class, if you're trying to lose body fat, if you're trying to do X, Y, Z, whatever, um, that's whenever you're going to run into a huge risk of overtraining. Um, but 
going back to the the first point that I made of overtraining being mostly a myth for resistance training athletes, strength athletes, um, physique athletes. Just because overtraining in the classical sense is probably a myth. Like overtraining syndrome is a real physiological issue. Like that is a thing where your nervous system starts to like downregulate itself. Um, overreaching is a real concern with strength athletes, which is why you deload, which is why you have regular deloads. Or if you don't have regular deloads, you have the ability, ability to auto-regulate and add deloads in. Um, and for anyone who does not know what a deload is, uh, it's basically just a plan reduction in training volume and intensity just to allow fatigue to kind of wash away, allow you to recover before pivoting back into quote unquote hard training. Um, but overreaching is a legitimate issue. You can push yourself too hard for too long. Um, you can start really running up against some ceiling and some ceiling effects to where you start seeing some negative feedback in your training where you're not only not getting stronger, not getting bigger, you're actually regressing. Uh, most people will understand that they should probably like reevaluate what they're doing before they get to the point of regression. Um, but we work with a lot of physique athletes, you know, bodybuilders, people who get on stage. Whenever you're going into a prep or whenever you are at the tail end of a long prep or long diet phase, um, you have to be really cautious with overreaching because that tends to also come with extended decreases in, in calorie intake. So whenever you are eating less calories, you're not going to be recovering as well. Whenever your training volumes are also high, your training intensities are also high, and you're not planning those scheduled reductions in training volume and intensity like a deload, then you're going to run into some pretty severe issues with overreaching. And th those probably won't turn into classical overtraining, but they can open up uh, a different can of, wor of worms like again, regression or even like potential risk of injury. Yeah, no, I, you surprised me. Um, you answered that so serious. Uh, no, uh, I, I, I thought I'm serious. I thought for sure that you would uh, qualify it with the training age of the athlete, right? The, the ability of an athlete to generate enough intensity over a prolonged period of time to get to a point of being overtrained or uh, having overreached for so long. Um, I think that's what you said. I will add something to that, though, not to cut you off. You're uh, I, I think that especially whenever we're talking about like training in the gym, mm -hmm. you're you're on the right path. But I think that there, you can always do too much work in mm -hmm. terms of total volume, right? Like if I were to tell someone to go outside and walk and don't stop walking, that's a very easy task, right? Like that's very low intensity. A beginner can do that. Shit, a toddler could do that, right? For the most part. Mm -hmm. Um. But after a certain period of time, you're going to start overtraining. Like your body's going to shut down on you because you've just done too much activity, right? So again, the population that we're talking to in the gym, right. I definitely agree with you. But I think that um, some people just assume that cardio, especially like treadmill or elliptical or for fuck's sake, like a Stairmaster doesn't count as like activity. If you just put LISS in front of it, low intensity bro, my God, if you're doing a Stairmaster, you have to count that in your total activity. And you also have to almost basically count that as resistance training because it pretty much is like it, it, at mm -hmm. that it is. It's body weight resistance training. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, again, at risk of going on a really long tangent on this, um, I'll let you continue. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, like I said, I, I'm with you. Definitely. Like you said, the population we're talking to people training in the gym, um, 
I think also there's a level of in my head to go, okay, if I tell someone to walk forever, they're not going to be walking forever. They're going to stop. They're going to stop. They're going to lay down. They're going to sit down. And so I think it's the idea, like, will that person actually walk forever? No, they won't because they, they will eventually stop. So um, that's more so what I'm like, like the idea of someone saying, oh, yeah, I'm, can I overtrain? Can we get to a point of being overtrained? Uh, likelihood, obviously, pretty low. You'd have to be a, a really diligent, committed, strong, capable athlete. And there's a lot of like mental resilience to get to that point, too, because mentally you're going to be like, I don't want to do this. Right. And you're going to almost like, like you said, downregulate before your system starts to mentally your engagement. You're going to start going, okay, I'm, I'm going to do a little less, a little less, a little less. Right. So um, that's where I thought that you might put some, uh, some caveats. But no, that makes sense. It's funny because, um, you watch Family Guy, right? Or you used to? Yeah, I'd find that yeah. anymore. Yeah. Remember those episodes when uh, Peter used to fight that chicken? Yeah, 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 of course. That was like every other episode. Yeah, I'm just imagining you fighting a Stairmaster. Like, just a random fucking tangent. Just you, just you be a Stairmaster for like a solid four and a half minutes. Bro, I swear, there's like very few things that make my blood boil, like just like Stairmaster. Like, just thinking of Stairmaster. I see a Stairmaster, I'm like, why is that a thing? Um, but, but yeah, yeah, no, I actually have a question along the same line, so we can just jump right into that one. So this one says, what are some signs of overtraining and how can you prevent it? But I think we should just use overreaching mm -hmm. instead of overtraining here, because for all intents and purposes, what we're talking about in the gym for the population who are more serious strength athletes, physique athletes, they're not going to need to worry about overtraining they're going to need to worry about overreaching. Mm -hmm. So what are some signs of overreaching that, that you can look for? Yeah. So of course you look for the lowest hanging fruit. Um, it's pretty easy. Like when you, especially when you have younger athletes, when I say younger, I mean younger, just like training age, um, you know, for how long someone's been training, if they start, typically they're going to find some levels of linear progression, especially early on on a block, especially early on with movements, you know, neurologically, they're going to understand them better. Um, they're going to begin to understand their body better, be able to push intensity better. And obviously you'll see the, the numbers continue to go up. You'll be able to look at the anecdotal data in their videos and see, you know, the way that they're continuing to progress. And then there are going to be plateaus and then understanding where those plateaus come from. Are they coming from just an inability to progress because, you know, Hey, it's just getting harder or is there something, you know, systemically that's happening? Um, typically you also see like fatigue build up as well, right? People or their probability goes way down. Um, those are probably the two most telltale signs, right? The ability to progress, um, or then also regression. Someone starts saying, Hey, like I just feel consistently weaker all week, you know, in especially multiple weeks in a row. Um, and then again, you know, the, the, the recoverability to me is huge. Like if someone tells me they just cannot recover from a session, um, Barring that all other things are in accordance, right? Sleep's good, food's good, stuff like that. Stress isn't too high. Uh, then, you know, that's which is also why, just quick aside and, and coaching plug, this is also why we ask for context on like life and things like that. Because if you tell me you had a shit week in the gym, um, but that also like, you know, your kids are sick or you lost your job or you're going through a divorce or whatever, it's like, okay, well, cool. Like this isn't the training. We still need to probably change some things. Uh, but this is something that's kind of, you know, happening on the outside. But you know, if everything's good and, you know, you cannot recover and you cannot progress, um, you know, you cannot sleep well, like a, a lot of those other things start to creep in, then it's time to, you know, go ahead and pull back uh, on intensity and volume and give our body a rest. Yeah, I, I think that signs and symptoms of, of overreaching, um, you can look at the singular signs, but it's more useful to look at them as a collection, like mm -hmm. in totality, what are 
what are you experiencing? And, you know, at a certain point, it's very much like symptoms of a flu, right? Everyone has a slight fever. If you have a slight fever, you could have just like a normal seasonal flu. You could also have Ebola, right? Yeah. There are, there are gradients here, right? If you have a slight fever, but then you also have lesions on your skin, maybe it's not just a flu, maybe it's Ebola, right? Like you can start to say, all right, these are things that are starting to add up to the complete picture. And it's starting to tip the scales towards this being evidence of that, right? So right. I, with, with overreaching, um, yeah, you can start saying like, hey, you know, performance decrements, right? Like your, your performance drops off in the gym. Okay, well, let's take all this other all this other context into consideration. Is there a reason for your performance dropping? Is it like the sixth week or seventh week or eighth or twelfth week of this training block or this, you know, this program that you've been running? Is it a normal time for your performance to drop off? Maybe, right? But then you start talking about how is your sleep? Are you struggling to sleep? Do you have an appetite? Like you mentioned regression in the gym. Like that's a huge one, right? Like we never want to get to the point of regression. We always want to catch it before that. But there are a lot of markers that you can start to kind of figure out and put that complete picture together before ever getting to the point of regression. Um, aches and pains. Like if your body is just starting to ache and your joints are are just uncomfortable and grinding and you know, you're in the gym and nothing feels very good, just your subjective perception of the load is just heavy, right? It just feels heavy in your hands. Or like if it's hard to grip the barbell whenever you're doing like rows or or RDLs or whatever, right? Like these are all symptoms that your your nervous system's probably starting to get like pushed over that cliff, right? So again, it's more so a collection of signs and symptoms rather than any singular one. But if you start to put together, all right, like I'm starting to stall out on my progress. I don't really have an appetite. My sex drive is kind of shit. I'm not really sleeping really well. My body aches. I feel really weak. Like I don't really have the same pop in my squats as I did like two weeks ago, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then all of that is kind of pointing towards, hey, just take a deload, see what happens, give your body a break for a week, and then go back into hard training. You're most likely going to start progressing again. Right. No, I'm with you. I don't think I have much else to add on that. All right, dope. Let's stop talking about fucking overtraining. Um, the next one I have, uh, kind of couple of questions. We're just combine them together and then I'll, I'll frame it. Um, do fitness trackers really help you get fit? Um, and then I just kind of paired that one with like someone somebody what's the validity of like the Apple watches or rings, whoop, Fitbits, et cetera. Um, and I, I believe they're probably, at least for me, um, falling in love with all of the different like feedback mechanisms, right? Like you have little track your sleep, the track your steps, obviously. Um, the thing that probably bugs me the most, and I probably want to ask you your opinion, or I guess let you go off on a tirade about it, the the calorie tracking, right? The idea that these things will tell you how many calories you've burned in a day. Um, and people swear, I burned 5,000 calories today, man. And it's like, hey, you busted dude. I break it to you, but like, no, you didn't, you know, type deal, right? But I explain that over and over again. Here's an opportunity for you to to tell the world about where they're useful and where they're not. Yeah, so... Um, I agree with you. Definitely. Right. Like the, the biggest issue that you're going to run into is, um, whenever any type of like calorimeter or not calorimeter, excuse me, um, pedometer. So anything that's going to be measuring like the amount of steps that you're taking or the, um, the speed that you're walking or the, the intensity that you're moving at anything like that. Right. It's all just 
best guess, but like the best guess is like, honestly, not even really that good. Um, the tools that we have right now to be able to actually tell you the amount of calories that you're burning, they're just not accurate enough, right? So like if your aura ring could communicate with your Apple Watch, your Apple Watch could communicate with your MyFitnessPal, MyFitnessPal could communicate with your aura ring and they could all like talk to each other and come up with this comprehensive assessment of like, you know, how many calories you're estimated to be burning according to like your body weight and like these trends and how much food you're eating and how, you know, many steps you're getting and what your sleep is like. Maybe, maybe that could be a little bit better, but I would caution anyone to um, take too much out of anything that is telling you how many calories you're burning with activity. The better ways of going about it is just look at how many steps you're getting about, right? And try and use the same methods of calculating those steps. So like if you're using an aura ring, use your aura ring, continue to do that. If you have an Apple watch, you know, do that. If you're just looking at it on your phone, you know, just continue to do that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because there are a lot of really cool tools. Like I, I have an aura ring. I, I love it. Um, you know, it, it tracks my sleep pretty well. I, I feel pretty comfortable with, um, with what it tells me in terms of like my sleep assessment, but I also don't take that at face value. Right. So like there have been times whenever I've gotten like five hours of sleep and then I look at my aura ring and it's like, you're recovered today. Like, great job. You're recovered today. And I'm like, you're telling me I got five hours of sleep. Like I see that right there, five hours of sleep, but you're also telling me like I'm recovered and I got like a 90 on my sleep score. Like that doesn't seem correct. Like just because it's right. related to my past performance doesn't really mean that it's indicative of absolute performance, right? Like that's like relatively you're not dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not dying, but I'm still not very good. So like, I think you always have to take that stuff with a grain of salt. Um, And just on that note too, I think that there is, there is something to be said about becoming too quantitatively oriented. Um, I, I have clients and I've seen people that do this frequently where they'll be recording a video of them, let's say doing like, uh, like a set of squats or something. Right. And in their video, I see them like start their timer on their watch or like they look at their watch, like check their heart rate or something like that. It's like just you can do it without looking at your watch. You can, you don't have to see how many calories you burned at the end of that session. Like you don't have to time your set. You don't have to look and see like what your heart rate is at every 30 seconds. Like it's all okay. It is all okay. And you know, even Lex, like I've had to have conversations with Lex, who is my girlfriend for anyone who doesn't know who Lex is. Um, and you know, she always wears her Apple watch, which is fine. Not a big deal, but there were times whenever like if she didn't record her workout, like if she didn't like press start when her workout started and end when her workout ended, so she could get a semi reasonable picture of what her like caloric expenditure looked like, it would get, it would cause her stress. That, like that's not what these tools are for, right? They're supposed to make your life easier. They're supposed to eliminate stress. They're supposed to eliminate a lot of like the, the thought process and the mental bandwidth that goes along with a lot of, the the difficult aspects of fitness, right? But if they're starting to cause you stress and you're thinking about it so much to the point where you're like having to start and stop your watch between sets and you're having to like, you know, control your heart rate and you're paying attention to how many calories you're burning. And if you didn't burn enough calories in that workout, it's gonna like make your give you a bad day, like you like your day is ruined because of that. Um, then that's taking it too far. So in total, I would say good for some things like, you know, step counting, good macro tracking, obviously good. 
Um, you know, even sleep, like even tracking your sleep, it, it's probably good to have an idea. So like, you know, average bedtime, average wake time, you know, about how much sleep you're getting in terms of like total hours. That's all good. But it's anytime that it comes to like qualitative analysis or um, like calorie expenditure. So something that is going to be a little bit beyond um, the capabilities of the technology or requires a level of individualization that is just not quite there yet, then I would say maybe don't focus so much on those things. That was a tangent. I apologize. No, I think that was actually that was really good stuff. I'm sure Ben will cut that up for something good later. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I think I know who asked this question, um, but I just had a conversation with Jeff today because Jeff was weighing, do I want an Apple Watch? Do I want an Oura Ring? Do I want you know Fitbit? Whatever. What's the most accurate? I need your professional opinion. It's like, well, I have to like, guise it because I have a, a personal vendetta against Apple Watches right now because I have several clients who instead of wearing straps will wear their Apple Watch. And I'm like, oh God, yeah. Motherfucker. Like yeah. you'd rather risk not hanging on to the weight just to keep this goddamn watch on. Like I, I don't understand. Uh, but like you said, like I, sometimes there's so much data out there at our fingertips that we get addicted to it and we, we hinge things on them. Um, and I'm a victim of it. I'm sure you are as well. Like we just, we love tech and obviously there's a lot of things we can use and balancing that shit, right? Like leaning on it where it can help and then not letting it handicap you otherwise. And, um, that's what we see like do a lot to a lot of people. And to your point for things that are external, like sleep steps, um, you know, macros, just daily patterns, how often you get up, stand up, sit down, et cetera. Um, really, really good there. But like, even for sleep, like you might get eight hours of sleep. You might, might even calculate your REM sleep based on lack of movement and heart rate and stuff like that, but doesn't account for like nightmares, right? Like you might, you might wake up like really fucking stressed out because you had a shit dream. So you take that and extrapolate it to something like calorie counting. I'm like, pretty much I told Jeff today, I said, Hey, so for something to accurately measure your calories, they would probably need three bottles of blood. You need to be hooked up to a fucking VO2 max machine for the entirety of the workout wear all these devices, have them all talk to each other simultaneously, also need a DEXA scan, and probably some probes on your muscles that are working. And all of that might be able to give you some context on the actual caloric expenditure while you're training. Do you think they could fit any of that into any singular device? Oh, no. Well, then comparing them against themselves, much, much better tool, right? It says you burnt 5,000 calories a day. That means nothing to the world, but it does mean something to the watch. So if you want to use the watch's measure measure against itself and go, well, I want to work harder tomorrow. So then you shoot for 6,000, right? Yeah. If you do 3,000, 2,000, you know, maybe I moved a little less today. I, I wasn't as active, you know, whatever. And weighing it in that capacity, much, much healthier, I think. Um, and obviously more accurate. Oh, definitely. I agree with that. Um, all right. Next question. So how important is the mind-muscle connection for hypertrophy? <laughs> um. So since we've, we've since we've rallied against this pretty often throughout the uh, you know existence of P two, I will first start the way we used to saying it is important, right? It is important um, to make sure that the the neurological component of training is present, right? There is something about being able to voluntarily contract muscle that is that comes with advancement, and it is advantageous for numerous reasons, right? You know, one that comes to mind right away is that the more advanced an athlete, the more muscle mind connection that they can 
actively generate on purpose, essentially, I guess, right? Like you have most of mine connection, it's kind of a byproduct, right? Someone's just doing RDLs and eventually their glutes start to burn versus the person who can actually contract their glutes through a movement, right? Um, but typically what happens is that like, you know, for me, I don't have to use super heavy loads for, for bicep curls. You don't either, right? I can contract really hard against like five, 10 pounds. And granted, I'm going to be leaving something on the table, but I'm going to go home and probably still have like forearm cramps and my biceps are going to be sore and stuff like that because of just the like really, really intentful um, contractions that I was, I was focusing on. Uh, but big, but taking away from being able to overload a movement pattern, taking away from being able to drive load and intensity because you can no longer feel a movement, quote unquote, even though, you know, execution still on point, you know, tempo, you know, everything like that is still good, but you back off a load because you cannot feel uh, a movement uh, in the certain area you're trying to feel it is leaving a lot to be desired, right? Because you have components of training that are much more um, uh, efficient, much more um, contributing to, to growth, to strength gains, et cetera, uh, when it comes down to overloading movement, load, execution, range of motion, uh, being able to continue to push those things is going to be far more important. You would be better forgetting muscle-mind connection than you would be forgetting overloading a movement pattern and progressing it over time, right? You definitely want to take that. If someone says, hey, here are all my movements, bench, RDL, squat, whatever, and they're all perfect, and they say, but I can't feel any of them. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like I'd rather that, you know, than the 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 former or the alternate, which is I can feel all these really, really good, but they all either A look a little weird or they're all super, super light. You're nowhere near failure. Um, you, you're just you're kind of in there doing your fucking Richard Simmons exercises, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, just to kind of expand off of that. Well, for one, shameless plug, I have written a pretty in-depth article about this. So anyone who wants to read that can just go to my Substack and read that. Um, which yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's great. Um, on uh, I guess uh, a higher level note, so I, I think of my uh, muscle connection as like an add-on, right? Like you said, it's it's something that's good to have, but it's not necessary. It's not mandatory. Um, and I don't remember who I heard say this a long time ago, but they said you you can't flex bone, and that was always something that, like I I thought was like funny, but it makes more and more sense as I just coach more and more people. But like the more muscle you have, the better you're going to feel that muscle contracting just makes sense, right? Like if you have very, very small biceps, it's probably going to be difficult to feel the tissue contracting because you just don't have that much of it, right? There's not that much feedback being sent to your nervous system. Um, but like what Chris said, I, I get super frustrated. Um, whenever I have conversations with people and they're so focused on like feeling a muscle working that they completely disregard the load or the intensity that they're, that they're actually using there. So, um, granted, you know, if you're a hyper advanced athlete and you're someone who is incredibly strong or has been incredibly strong, or, you know, your training has to be incredibly specific because of your goals at that point. Right. And you're, you're very, very well developed. Your technique is perfect across all of these movements. It's, it, it's great. Right. Yeah. You know, if you're doing RDLs and you're trying to feel your glutes or you're trying to target your glutes and you only feel your hamstrings like that, that's probably not the best at that point. Right. But caveat there is if you're doing a compound movement, 
all of the muscles that are being worked are going to be activated, quote unquote activated. They're going to be working because of the pattern that is required of them, right? So like if you're doing hip extension in any capacity, your glutes are working. Whether you feel them working or not, they're working, right? And as intensity goes up, as you get closer to failure, as the load gets heavier, it makes sense that your body doesn't actually get as much proprioceptive feedback. You're not getting the same like ability to internalize that focus. You have to externalize it. You have to think about, oh shit, let me not die right now because this load is super heavy and I'm pushing really close to failure and I have to focus on bracing my abs and I have to focus on breathing and I have to focus on keeping my entire body really tight so I don't get hurt. Those things are more important at certain times than feeling your glutes or feeling your, your quads or your biceps or whatever muscle, right? But you have to trust that if you're moving really heavy loads and your execution is on point and you're training close to failure, like the muscle that you're targeting is going to be working. Like there's, there literally is, is no way anatomically, biomechanically, whatever, that if you're doing a squat or a hip thrust that your glutes aren't working. It's right. absolutely impossible that it, it just doesn't happen, right? How you feel that will differ. It will differ for sure. But you have to find the correct balance, the correct proportion of load, intensity, specific variation that you're using, the timing, the intent, et cetera, et cetera, all those things, right? You have to be able to load those appropriately, or I guess like weigh those appropriately in your training to understand, okay, this movement or you know this this exercise at this point in my training session is going to be specifically for engaging this muscle maximally right like i'm doing this single leg kickback to get my mind muscle connection on point with my glutes like i want to really be able to like tune in there and feel it i want to feel the contraction i want to be able to maintain that contraction through the entire range of motion but you're not going to like try and fucking max that out right. because it's the point, right? Like you have to understand what the intent is, what the purpose of that movement is. Why are you using it? Why is it in your program? At the same time, you know, you probably wouldn't do barbell squats for sets of three to five and be like, well, I'm doing this for mind muscle connection. I'm doing this like promote feeling my glutes better. No, you're doing that to overload the fuck out of your glutes. Squeeze one to the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but just you know, I, I do think it's the the main point I want to make there is just understanding like why you're so focused on feeling a specific muscle working. Like, what is the purpose of that? Right? Is that movement or that exercise or whatever you're doing is that in there so that you can feel that muscle working, or is it in there so that you can grow that muscle so that you can overload that muscle? Right? right. You have to understand what the purpose is there. And granted, there are. There are reasons why you would want to focus on improving the mind-muscle connection. But that's, again, it's an add-on. It's something that is like, it's it's cool to have. It's good to have for sure. It's it's feedback. But it's not really mandatory for growing your muscles, especially if you're someone who is like a beginner or intermediate. Like, you're going to grow no matter what. And also, if you're advanced, you're probably strong enough and you're generating enough force that that muscle is getting targeted no matter what. And especially if you have really sound execution and you're able to train close to failure, it, you don't, it doesn't even fucking matter, right? At a high level, what matters most is your goals. Like, what are you trying to get out of that movement? So then you have to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, well, what, what do I want from this? And then 
is it mind muscle connection or is it overload? And then, you know, just there's a lot of variation between there too. So yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no, a hundred percent. I mean, obviously we're aligned there. Um, otherwise we probably wouldn't work together. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, I usually like to say like, especially for like new clients, um, that are struggling to understand the idea like, Hey, I don't want you to compromise the load you can use for this movement, um, for quote unquote muscle mind connection. And I go, tell me about your muscle mind connection tomorrow and the next day. Meaning like, are your glutes sore tomorrow? Then they, they, we're probably doing some stuff, right? You know, like I, I guarantee you that I'll probably get your glutes more sore, pushing load, pushing intensity with integrity than you keeping this load light so that you can feel the muscles squeeze now, as yeah. opposed to, you know, the actual doms are going to feel from the muscle damage that we've done because we were training really hard and now we're going to recover and grow, get stronger, et cetera. And so, um, that framing actually helped a lot of people. It was, it was kind of interesting that once they like, I said, Hey, like, I know we don't want to try to be sore, but let's just use this as a little, like small, you know, uh, experiment, right? Like just give me this week, push it, and then give me some, uh, some feedback. And then hopefully that will kind of cement the concept I'm trying to portray to you here. Yeah, no, for sure. Short term. Yes. Next question. Um, so this was kind of like a twofold someone, um, who has kids was mentioning, you know, competitive bodybuilding for kids, which I think we're seeing competitors get younger and younger. Um, they have team divisions and stuff like that, which I think is interesting. Um, and then, you know, you actually have powerlifting meets and stuff like that as well. Uh, and the, the rumor of course was always like, be careful about having your kids, you know, train, train, train too early, stunting of growth, et cetera. I, I definitely think that, well, it's, it's for one safe. It is definitely safe for younger adolescent kids to be able to resistance train or, you know, just do any kind of like normal exercise. Right. Um, you know, the biggest point with that is making sure that they understand proper technique and execution at a young age. What you don't want is you don't want like, you know, a 10 year old going into the gym and just doing everything with shitty form and learning really shitty form and strengthening patterns that require or that I guess that have really shitty form um, because then they're just going to get hurt and their body's going to break down really early. And you don't want that obviously, but um, provided all of those boxes are ticked and everything is good there. Strength training is actually really, really good for development. Um, and I think that one thing that people, they like to kind of like state their point and they say, well, this is bad because, you know, X, Y, Z possibility is, is also bad. And, you know, like the risk maybe isn't really worth it. Like, you know, are their growth plates going to get stunted? Like, are they going to be like, you know, perpetually five feet? Like, you know, are they, <laughs> like, like all these things, right? Like, are, are they going to open themselves up for, for greater chance of injury if they do start training early? Um, you know, those arguments are are false um you know that i don't believe at least from everything that i've seen that there is any evidence at this point of you know like stunting growth or any of that stuff um again the injury argument is mostly just predicated on like technique and all that um but i think the counter argument here is okay if you want to say that like strength training or resistance training or exercise for kids is bad because of xyz reason okay well the alternative is that Childhood obesity is a really fucking big problem, right? So, like, what do we want to choose? Mm -hmm. We want to say, okay, like, if you start exercising, then you might stunt your growth. Okay, like, that wouldn't be awesome. But don't exercise. Childhood obesity is also on the table here, right? Because not many people have the genetics to just do nothing and be, like, 
healthy from a young age. And like, we're starting to see that it doesn't really matter what your genetics are because most people's diets are just so shit and their parents' diets, diets are so shit. And that is being pushed down onto the children. So then again, like a lot of kids are overweight and kind of going to the PE thing, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, you know, it is showing up in schools and it's a fucking huge problem, man. Like it's a huge problem. So I would say, even if I did think that there was a greater risk for kids to start training early, I would still say do it because the alternative is saying don't do any exercise and your chance of childhood obesity or being overweight or developing really poor eating habits or really poor movement habits or whatever, whatever from an early age are going to be greatly increased. So it's just, it's, I don't want to even say pick your poison. You hear her. She's like, I'm just at the, at the window whining. Um, but I don't even want to say pick your poison, but you know, if you are making a trade-off here, I would say the trade-off is pretty clear which one you'd want to make. Right. Um, and then outside of that, I, I am not a huge fan or proponent of like bodybuilding specifically for adolescents or anyone who's at a younger age. I would say even like a teen, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like teen bodybuilding either. Because I don't think that you should be dieting to extreme levels as basically a child, right? You know, like I, I definitely don't think so because there are repercussions that are beyond even just like, hey, I'm doing a, a show. Hey, like I'm just doing this for fun. Okay, but like you also might fuck up your hormones for whatever reason. Like some people are super sensitive. You also might develop an eating disorder. You might, you know, have all of these issues that stem from a single show that you want to do because your friend did it or because you saw like your favorite influencer do it. Right. So I would, I would hesitate to promote teen bodybuilding or just like, you know, bodybuilding or extreme, um, you know, fitness or resistance training or diet habits to anyone that is a little bit younger. Um, but then going to like the PE question. Yeah. And so the, the question is, should schools require physical education and daily exercise for students? Um, all right. So this is actually a, a difficult question, right? So I'm going to say yes, but I think that there are layers to this, right? There, there are obviously above and beyond layers to it. Like you can think about, okay, well, do we want to disincentivize like participation in school? Because like, if someone doesn't want to go to PE, they're probably just going to skip PE or maybe they even skip school and they don't go to school. Right. Um, there's also the aspect of like, if someone is maybe a little bit out of shape, like that could potentially be like socially a, a really embarrassing thing to, to happen. Like, you know, if you're being subjected to like these really, really intense drills in PE class, and actually my, my dad sent me a video of like, I think it was like the fifties or sixties or something like that, like some PE class video. And it was like military boot camp training. Like it was mm. insane. Like they're doing like pull-ups or climbing over walls. Like, they're doing all kinds of wild shit. And they were talking about like the, the, um, tests that you had to pass for like high school fit, uh, physical fitness exams. Remember those, right? The, pres the presidential test or whatever. Yeah. 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 But like, but, but apparently like they were insane for like 50 years ago, right? Like they were much crazier. I think one of them was like to get the highest award, whatever the highest award was as a male, you had to be able to do like eight handstand pushups or something like that. And then like, like 15 or 16, um, stripped pull-ups. And I was like, 
fuck? What? Like, that's insanity. Okay. Like, I can make def- America great again. What do you say? Make America great again. <laughs> no, I was like, I definitely would not be anywhere close to that. But, um, but I, I think, all right. So, again, I, I think it's a trade off thing, right? So, mandatory PE, I think probably should be a thing. Um, but I also am consciously aware of the trade-offs that would be associated with that and the potential downsides of mandating something like, you know, physical activity or physical fitness. And also like there's the, the potential for just increased negligence on the side of like instructors and teachers, because most PE teachers are probably not like personal trainers are probably not really certified to be able to manage a lot of these things. So, you know, there might be higher instances of like dangerous or precarious situations that kids are being put into. So again, there are a lot of layers to this. Um, I think that my default answer would be like the world U S could do with more exercise in general, more physical activity in general. So like anything that is going to promote that, I think will on net be good, but we also have to be careful with like global or wide sweeping, um, prescriptions boring ass answer i know and you did and you did both sides um no i so obviously like i i'm i'm with you there's there's context to everything uh and i'm sure that you can tell by looking at us that gym class was actually probably a fun time for us yeah. um you know dodgeball basketball etc dodgeball was and but like, I, I i to your point you think about the kids that do not and third like not just don't like not just the girls that sit off in the corner like the kids that thoroughly like dread gym class they dread going in and changing they dread coming out and being put into teams um you know i think about like it was normal to watch you know the dodgeball whistle go off and the girls run to the back right but there was the occasional guy or guys that you saw like "Mm -mm, yeah i I don't feel safe here i don't feel welcome here i don't feel a part of this i want to hide i don't feel capable I'm, i'm actually frightened here um, and as, as kids, you don't understand that, right? As kids, you just pick them off, right? Just, all right, you're out. All right, you're out. Right. Um, no remorse. There's no level of like, oh, wait, maybe like we should exclude him or allow him to, you know, absolve himself and or excuse himself rather. Um, there's a school in Northeast Ohio and Hudson called Gilmore Academy. Uh, which I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. Um, all of their sports, or at least last I remember are shit. They're not good at any sport. Uh, a cool part about it is that the way students get PE credit is they have to play some sort of sport. Um, so you can choose any sport, dance, tennis, football, basketball, whatever. Um, I think it might be one or two, uh, depending on the season. But I think that I like that. Um, I wish it probably started earlier because you don't have a choice of what to do when you win a PE class. If coach says running a mile today and you hate fucking running, like you're running a mile today, right? Um, if you go into playing dodgeball or basketball or soccer and you, you hate those things, you don't have a choice. But if you have a choice or a say in what you're going to do and how you're going to expend that energy, um, I know like for me, like I think about like future kids because, you know, I, I was lucky enough to, you know, see a family, you know, Maddie's family was very, very fit. And it wasn't because their mom told them that they were fat and they had to stay. And it was just because she had always trained, right? She'd always worked out and the girls just like via osmosis, just like, fuck it, this is what we do. We, we train, we stay healthy. You know, we take pride in what we look like. 
um, borderline vanity in some of the aspects, but like they just, they cared about what they looked like. They cared about their health and being active because that's what they had seen from a very early age. That's not common, obviously. So childhood obesity is through the roof. Um, I have nieces and nephews now, and I, I don't have a niece that is not overweight. Right. You know, and it's weird now because now you're looking at them and so without getting too serious, like I look at, you know, my brother, I look at friends, um, sisters, and I go, I'm mad at you. Like, I'm actually upset that my niece or that my goddaughter, you know, is where she's at right now. Right. Like beyond the like, I know she's getting bullied at school, but like health, like, you know what I do for a living. And you also have heard me talk about it. And for you to either a be a negligence or just lack of like good oversight or guidance have allowed her to develop habits that are going to follow her for life. If you guys don't get on these and I understand the taboo, I understand the, 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 the stickiness of it. Right. You know, um, and it sounds easy to me because I don't have kids yet. Um, you know, to just say, Hey, listen, like you have to make it fun. You have to encourage activity that they want to do, right? Find something that they can find, you know, find a love for. I don't care if it's dance, bro, put a fucking leotard, leotard on and go dance with your daughter. Like if that's what she likes to do, um, you know, that, that to me is where it should come. So like, I like Gilmore Academy's idea. They're like, Hey, listen, we're not going to put you in PE. Choose whatever you want from these things. Just, just, let's just be active. We don't care if we win. We don't care if we're competitive. We care that you guys develop really healthy habits. You learn to work as a team, learn to care of your bodies. And I think that if we could titrate that down to, you know, early education, we would probably have a lot less issues. Did you ever have a teacher at any level of school that made a boring subject fun and exciting? So um, people make fun of history majors and people who are really into history, but I know you and I actually really enjoy history. And I don't know where that comes from from you. For you, rather. Um, but I had a teacher in seventh grade, and there's a book that I had one, one I had at one point in time, but I think I left it with uh, Maddie and her family. But it was called The Lies My Teacher Told Me. And he brought that book to class every single day. And he would pretty much like he pulled the veil over or behind, I guess, pulled the veil off of like Thanksgiving, right? Like told us like horrific fucking stories about like the the settlers coming in pretty much getting what they need from the indians and native americans and a oh, lot we can grow crops now we can do this we can do that poisoning them killing them just wiping them out burying them and then well, famine hits <laughs> and then and then famine hits right and the now settlers don't have food so they have to now dig up these dead native american bodies and eat them to survive and I remember listening to the story, like, what the fuck? Like, I'm like so wow. interested in this. This uh, is so good. Like, to me, yeah. this is the kind of shit to do, you know, you want to know. And so that was where like the love of like history fell in, like for me, you know, like hearing things like, hey, like, you know, we know obviously for war, you know, a big thing in winning wars is being able to cut off your enemy from all level of resources, right? So civil war, for instance, to win against the South, which was not a super easy thing for the North to do because the South had purpose, right? The South, even though they they were outnumbered, outmanned, outmachined, they had purpose. They were fighting for things they believed in, right? Um, they're fighting their also necessity too. They're, they're they were fighting for their lifestyles as well, especially exactly like slave owners, plantation owners, people who relied on slavery. Like 
that you remove slaves, all of a sudden they have no industry anymore. They have no market or they have no way to make money anymore. Like, yeah, like you said, they have a purpose. Agreed. Yes. And fighting hard. And so after the North had, you know, throttled France from being able to get supplies into the South and things like that, that a lot of the young recruits and foot soldiers and whatnot did not have uniform. So, you know, friendly fire went way up, which like you think about that as a kid, like, fuck. Imagine just running out and getting shot in the back. Like, oh shit, my bad, bro. Uh, also, because of a uh, ammunition low, they now needed to figure out. Okay, well, we don't have explosive anymore. Explosives anymore. So, there was actually people who were assigned to a job of pretty much like grenade retrieval. They would see incoming grenades come from the north, and it was their job to run, grab the grenade, and throw it back. And so the north got wise and said, "All right, well." So now you have people running up like ah, grenade and then they just blow up on impact. And I'm just like, again, crazy, but like, wow, like the things you don't think about. And all of a sudden a topic that most people find pretty boring was super interesting to me. Yeah. And well, the reason I bring that up is because we know, so we definitely are jaded whenever it comes to fitness, because fitness is something that's so ingrained into us. It's so back of hand. It's second nature. We don't have to think about it. We just do it, right? Mm -hmm. But we have gotten to this point because it's been a habit for so long that we are capable of just kind of being on autopilot and eating well and going to the gym and getting enough steps in and just taking care of our body. But that's the thing about habits is it's really fucking hard to develop a habit. And if you develop bad habits early on, those bad habits will persist. And it's very hard to break a bad habit. You have to be very intentional and deliberate about that especially to reverse that bad habit, start doing something that is actually beneficial for you. So I think that's actually where something like PE would be a massive positive thing if it were implemented correctly, right? Like if you could take a bunch of these like, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids and throw them in a PE class with a fucking awesome PE teacher that knows what they're doing, that makes it fun, that is able to incorporate like, hey, Here's how you do a squat here. Let's do these, you know, wall sits. Let's, you know, run these sprints. Let's, let's make it fun. Right? Like, even if the kids fucking hate exercising, they don't want to do it. Like there are ways to make those things enjoyable and you can make it enjoyable for everyone. But the thing there is that once they get comfortable with exertion, with physical activity, once they make that thing a habit. That habit is so much easier to stay on top of as they get older. But if you let basically like inactivity be a habit, then that just persists into adolescence, into, you know, post puberty, into young adulthood, into adulthood, and they never break that. And it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. They get unhealthier and unhealthier and unhealthier. But again, it's just like that's the value of having a really good teacher or, you know, or I guess a really good parent as well. Anybody who can, who can pass these things down to, to younger children. Um, that's whenever you start seeing a ton of that tangible value. But on the other hand, if you have a bad teacher that makes it horrendously unfun, that makes the kids dread doing it every time they come to the gym, they're just not going to do it. Right. So that's why I said there, there's that, you know, double-edged sword to implementing mandatory PE class where it's like, you get a good draw. You have an amazing teacher. 
all of a sudden, you know, your life trajectory might be very different from if you walked into class with a diff different teacher there that day and they made you fucking hate running or hate push-ups or hate activity. And then all of a sudden, you just don't want to do that for the rest of your life. And that becomes your habit. So um, I know that we we tangented the fuck out of that question, but I do think yeah. that it was it was worth doing um, because, you know, there there's a lot of layers to that. No, I mean, I like that a lot. And I, I even thought in my head, I was like, I mean, I know for you, you trained really, you started training really early. I had sports. I hated the gym, hated it. It was like, it was a place where if I went, my dad was yelling at me because he's like, you're, you're too fucking big, bro. You should be stronger than this. What do you mean you can't do a dip? I could not do a dip to save my fucking life, bro. I used to fail miserably on anything that was push. Um, you know, my chest just was very, very underdeveloped. I, I did not have the, the grind and grit in the gym. And so I hated it. And then also without going off into a tangent on it, but there was like the complexity for me too, growing up where I grew up already being so big. I was five fucking 10 at like 12. Right. And kids were getting shot. Dudes were getting killed like where I was yeah. from. And so for me, I always thought that the bigger I was, the more of a threat I would see. And I was afraid, afraid of getting big. I was like, no, 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 like that just, that draws attention to me. Um, so it's a weird complex layer there, but from I, I say that to say like, like bodybuilding, like training like a quote unquote bodybuilder, training heavy, lifting weights intensely and intentionally, didn't become something I fell in love with until I met you. No, um, dead ass. Like, like after after I was done with football and stuff like that, you know, walking up to you and asking to train with you, I didn't know how to train then. Um, not hard, not not consistently. I knew how to be an athlete. I knew how to work hard, um, but. I didn't fall in love with training until like showing up each day with you and just like training um, and just like like football and basketball and baseball. I did it to get girls, but ironically enough, I ended up with a best friend and it was cool. Um, but, you know, Better. It, it, <laughs> you're any, but uh, it's definitely one of those things, like you said, though, it, it matters about the teacher, because for me, the gym was always like synonymized with my dad either yelling at me or a coach yelling at me. It was work I had to do. For something I didn't want, and I'm like, nah, fuck this. I just want to play on the football field. I want to go. To the, I want to go to the court. I don't want to be in here. Yeah. See, that's the thing, though. It's like, like you related the gym to a negative experience, but if from a young age you related related the gym to hanging out with your friends, all of a sudden that connotation's so different. It's so different, and that it like ingrains inside of you, right? So then, on one hand, you're so anxious to go to the gym. You dread going to the gym. You don't want to fucking do it, right? On the other hand, you're excited. You can't wait to go to the gym because you get to chill with your friends and fuck around and bullshit and talk about girls and like bench press and like do all this dumb, stupid shit, right? Like that's fun. You want to do that whenever you're in middle school and high school. Um, but again, it just kind of goes back to like, what are we imprinting on kids? If we're not imprinting something that's beneficial that they can take into, you know, teenage years into adulthood then it's not worth it it's not worth it so like that goes back to like the pe question it goes back to the bodybuilding question it goes back to all that we've been talking about if the habits are negative then it it's useless if the habits are positive that they're building as a kid then it's super beneficial but the line there is incredibly fine yep 100 Let's wrap this um, up. Let's wrap this yeah, up. I, I one more. Go ahead. And you say, so you have one, and I have one. And I, I, the one I had. Uh, who's who's this better? I party. So is, is yours? What's yours about? That was the PED one. Okay, you go first because mine is a better one to wrap up on. All right, bet. 
Should PEDs, steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, et cetera, be legalized in professional sports and bodybuilding? Um, all right. So bodybuilding, yes. Um, bodybuilding, yes, because it's it, it's already quietly legal. Um, the only reason that it's quote-unquote illegal is because of the illegality on a like governmental level. It's a it's a criminal illegality rather than a institutional illegality within bodybuilding, right? I I think that there is actually a benefit to having untested versus tested federations, which is what we have right now, right? So like right. untested, it's unspoken. If you're in untested, you're on PEDs, though there are exceptions there, so I don't want to like, you know, categorize everyone who competes in untested federations as being on peds because it's not true um and more props to those people they're fucking bosses if you compete against people that you know are on peds and you're natural you're fucking boss that's dope but there's also tested federations, so i like that right like i like the ability to say fuck it this is what we're going for we're going for peak performance and we know the risks we know that most people here are going to be doing peds but we just want to see how fucking insane people can look on the other hand we want to see how insane people can look without assistance without peds right do it naturally great granted there's still gonna be people that like circumvent the rules there are gonna be people that really push up against what they consider tested or natural versus you know what is i guess like the 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 point where you have to go into the next division and like a lot of people really really stretch that classification of natural and they try and beat the tests and they lie and there's a lot of fucked up shit that goes into that stuff too but the way they do it, I think, is important. I think that that is the right way to go about it. Professional sports, and I can classify the Olympics in this as well, I think they should do the same thing. Truly, I think that they should do the same thing. What will happen is that the untested version is where everyone will gravitate. That's where all the money will gravitate as well. Because everyone wants to see peak performance. I... I hate to say that because i i know that there is always the abuse potential and it's not even really a potential at that point especially whenever people are being paid more money based on their output they're going to abuse the fuck out of the drugs right so they're it's hard it's hard for me to say what the right or wrong answer is because right now drugs and BEDs are being abused but they're also having to do things that are masking those drugs whenever they get drug tested, right? Just because people are testing negative in the Olympics or in professional football or whatever, trust me, they're still using drugs. And if they're not using what we would consider as classical PEDs, they're using peptides that basically do the same fucking thing inside their body, if not more, and if not potentially more risk, they're just not showing up on tests. So... The thing about professional athletes and Olympic athletes, whenever there are millions of dollars or fame or, you know, grandeur on the line, right? Like whenever, whenever all of these, these things are basically hinging on your performance in your sport, you're going to do everything you can to get an edge. And that includes breaking the rules. So my opinion here is, just make it tested versus untested. Allow the untested federation, the untested part of whatever sport that is to do their shit, but have very, very close monitoring on all of the athletes, right? There has to be strict rules on the monitoring 
And I think that's where it has to, I'm not, I'm not a regulator, right? Like I can't come up with those rules. I don't know what the right answer to that is, but I actually believe that it would be safer to allow an untested federation and allow that to happen to say, Hey guys, like do whatever you want, but we're going to monitor it closely, right? You have to have a doctor on hand. You're, you have to get blood work done periodically. You have all of these, whatever, right? Whatever. Um, but at the same time, like I, I think that if you're an athlete and if you have the ability to make millions of dollars, you should be able to do that. You should be able to, it's your body. Like you should be able to, to make those decisions yourself. Um, understand the risks, understand the rewards. And again, the rewards are massive at the professional athlete level, but the risks potentially are massive as well. Thing though, is like, there are certain PDs that can actually improve your longevity, right? Like if you're an athlete that gets hurt and you go on a PED cycle of growth hormone and testosterone and peptides or whatever to get you healthy faster, like that's a fucking great thing. Like, why are we condemning that? Right? So again, I don't know the right answer. I don't know what the regulations or monitoring process should be. I understand that the abuse potential is incredibly prevalent and that's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, you know, I don't know if it would be safer or, or less safe, but I think that the ethical conundrum that most people run into at the moment of knowing deep down that a lot of athletes are taking PEDs, but having like this cognitive dissonance about it to say, oh, well, they tested negative. So they're, they're okay. Like everything is clean. We're doing this by the book. Everyone's good. My favorite athlete has never done anything bad in their entire life. Like all that should just get washed away. Um, and we honestly, at a certain point should just admit what we all know to be true. And it's like, all right, at a high level, athletes will do whatever is necessary to get to that next stage or that next step or that next contract. And like, who the fuck are we to tell those people, tell them like, Hey, no, you can't take this, this injection. If that's the difference between $10 million and your, your family's well being, Right. Um, no, yeah, obviously, I think we've people have to see spectacles. We've talked about this before, like with bodybuilding, with sports, like there is something about um, going to see other humans, right? These superhumans, um, whether it's genetically, like you see these gifted athletes coming up through high school or whatever. Um, so, of course, like you said, those the the, the gravitation would be like, okay, the attention's going to go to these leagues. They're going to go to obviously the the untested federation variations of each individual sport. Um, you mentioned the abuse, which I, I wanted to piggyback on that, like, and just kind of reiterate, I think that the abuse levels will go down because you would now be encouraged as pro athletes, as you graduate and move on to now you bring on, you have a personal chef, you got your Cairo, you got your personal trainer, but you also get a doctor, right? You got someone who's pretty much like a fucking just like a chemist that they are making sure that your compounds and whatnot are procured, you know, in a way that is safe, um, that you are using them in a way that's safe. You're getting your levels tested often. Um, I, I, you I don't have to caveat. I want to caveat. That's already happening. That's already yeah, happening. Yeah. But this would this way would be regulated. <laughs> you wouldn't have to hide it, right? You would, exactly. like when you have to hide things, things get sticky, right? And then you, now you don't know. Okay, well, how often are you, are you able to openly communicate with this person? Or you, like, have all these covert meetings? And if you're having covert meetings, are you getting like the guidance you could get if, it, if your like relationship wasn't illegal? 
Um, you know, and so like, I think that abuse levels would actually go down and the education would go up because you could get it readily without being afraid of people thinking that you were, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, and I think that I always, especially like unrelated, but still related, I've had an issue with like mandating that kids go to school before they can go play a professional sport, right? Like you can get drafted out of high school and go play baseball. Um, but you know, we mandate that you go to school to play football and then you know at a professional level or basketball professional level when people can make the argument that oh well body types and acclimation and that said no 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 i can sign up for the army at 17 i can smoke a cigarette at 18 you know i can go kill myself and drink and drive in a car at 21 like why are you telling me what to do after i'm an adult like once someone is an adult like the crux of it is like who are we to tell them what's fair and not fair especially when you start getting into the like Chances are everyone else's, right? The Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire shit pisses me off all the time. Because I'm like, dude, they're hitting off pitchers who are using. I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> I promise you. Like, you, to to ignore that fact is crazy. Well, what's what's incredibly problematic is that if you have tested organizations, let's let's say right now, right, like Major League Baseball, the idea in Major League Baseball is that everyone is natural. If you have one person in Major League Baseball who is not natural, who, who is taking PEDs and they're subverting the test somehow, right? But they're doing it covertly. That is an unfair advantage for that one person, right? That one person, and let's say that that is a fucking Barry Bonds, right? And everyone else is natty. All of a sudden, that one person is just potentially, potentially, right? They're going to be just fucking everyone else up, right? If you just say, all right, guys, everyone has the ability to do the same thing, now, no one has an unfair advantage. Everyone has the ability to do the same shit. So if one person was doing that and they were naturally a seven and then, you know, unnaturally they're a 10, well, if they're a seven naturally and then everyone else is also an answer, they're still fucking seven comparatively. Like, the, the, you know what I mean? Like, it levels the playing field again. So the people who are still going to be the best are also going to be the best on PEDs usually usually it's not always going to be universal but usually and we're just going to see records being broken we're going to see peak human performance we're going to see athletes recovering and returning to the field or to the court faster because they're able to actually use the tools at their disposal to recover and get back and get healthy so like i i again the abuse i think is something that is like it's it's a gray area right because like what do you con what do you consider abuse what do you consider abuse? I would say abuse is something that would be above and beyond where the risk starts to subvert and starts to take and dominate the reward, right? Yep. Where like you start to run into diminishing returns with with risk adjustment, right? So right. if you're abusing something, every unit of that PED that you continue to take, your risk is going up, but the the reward that you're getting is not going up in accordance to that. So right. that's why I start to say that's the abuse potential. And I don't think that there is an ability to, there's no way to get around the abuse because again, going back to like, these are our money machines, mm -hmm. right? So if it's not at the athlete level, it's going to be at the owner level. Like you, you think fucking Jerry Jones doesn't want a bunch of roided up gladiators running into, into each other out there. Like, like, come on, man. Like, yeah, Jerry, that's gonna be like all right, guys, tell me, tell me what budget we need for PEDs. I'm on it. I'm on it, and I'll pay you. Supper the slaves. What? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, but like, um, it, it, there's no right answer to this. But like, I, 
I would be in favor of there being at least the option to say, hey, this is an untested federation, an untested league. If you want tested, if you want to compete against other athletes that are tested, there's also another option for you. We know what would generate the most money. And right. it's very much like bodybuilding right now. Unnatural or untested bodybuilding is where all of the money flows. It's where all the endorsements go. But it's because it's what you're seeing at like a superhuman level, right? Like you're seeing the extraordinary muscularity and the extraordinary conditioning. And it seems like something that is completely unattainable for the normal person. So they're mind blown. They're like, what the fuck am I looking at? Whenever you see like a Kai Green or Ronnie Coleman on stage, it like it makes no sense, but it's it's a draw. You want to see it. You want to watch it. It doesn't have the same impact watching a, a natural guy up there. Even like the the most developed, best natty in the world, they're not going to look like they lift next to Ronnie Coleman, right? So there are, there are levels to this, but we're all like voyeurs at heart. We all want to watch the crazy shit happen. We want to see people at human performance we want to see what the body is capable of right like we all want that whether we're doing it or whether other people are doing it but we want to fucking see it right like i see usain bolt run a 969 or 968 whatever i'm like i wonder how much faster he could be if he was juiced the fuck up like could like like what are we seeing here now you know what i mean like i i'm morbidly curious about those things um but i also i'm like fuck it like let's just give them the option let's see like what we can do Again, steroids are also legal. So PEDs are legal, like, you know, politically they're illegal um, and, you know, legally. So I think that's another consideration. Like you wouldn't be able to do that like openly without it also changing like, yeah, like legal status. But, you know, like HRT, hormone replacement therapy is, is very, very, very popular and common right now. I think we're, well, we're at least moving in a direction that I think is good in terms of allowing HRT in sports. So like if there are athletes that test well below whatever the normal range is, and again, there are ways of subverting this and like getting around the rules. But like, you know, if you're if you're a professional baseball player, professional pitcher, right? Like you're a fucking Nolan Ryan, you're in your 40s, you're still pitching, and your test levels are in the tank. Well, you know what? Just getting you back up to a level playing field, getting yourself back up to normal by taking HRT, like that might extend your your ability to play. That might extend your career. That might help you recover. So like, again, there's a lot of gray area in this stuff, but dude, I'm all for just like juicing everyone up and just letting them run into each other. No, 100%. I mean, like you said, the legality of it has to change, which I think the legality is heavily based in social stigma and, what, and, and how little people know. And I think if there's anything, this would actually present a very interesting educational opportunity for everybody. You know, like I think yeah. back about like, Lance Armstrong and him losing all the different like, you know, uh, uh, advertising deals and stuff like that after the blood doping thing came out. And I just thought that was so interesting. I'm like, well, one, this motherfucker wasn't riding a tricycle and started blood doping and then win the Tour de France. Like, and you also know what? You know who else was blood doping? The guy who came in a hundredth. So it's like every single like that's the thing. It's like cycling, especially every fucking cyclist was juiced to the tits. Like they were doing everything. I think the issue was Armstrong was Armstrong was just a piece of shit human being. Yeah, too. he was a dick, and he threw everyone under the bus. And but the thing is here is, so yeah, the the social stigma is the big part, right? Like we look at the the MLB like witch hunt from the early two thousands, like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and and all of those people. 
And that was a huge issue. And then also Lance Armstrong and, you know, a lot of the, the Olympic scandals and um, Lolo Jones and stuff like that. Yeah. Lolo Jones and like the the Russian team. Fuck what like um, what is the the Icarus, the Icarus documentary yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff, which is phenomenal if anybody hasn't seen that. But there there's a lot of negative connotation around PED use because of how it was presented. And it was presented as people who are doing this are cheats. They're liars. And they fucking kind of were, right? Yeah. Like, like the, the faces of, of PEDs for a long time were like not really the best faces for people who were wanted to be on the other side of that being like, hey, you know what? This actually isn't that bad. It's the same thing as like having this is a side to, having Timothy Leary be the face of psychedelics in the sixties. Like you don't want someone who is telling all the people, like all the kids to drop out of school. Drop out of school. Yeah. Like you, you don't, you don't want that being the face of psychedelics. Like that's not really like getting the message across to the people that are actually making the decisions on these things. Right. So like, I, I definitely agree that there is like a huge social stigma still against PEDs. I think it's starting to clear up a little bit because most people are starting to see like the benefit of HRT. So the misconception behind it, I think, like, is also lending itself because I think, again, to the point, like, Barry Bonds had to put bat on ball, right? He still had to put the bat on the ball, yes. right? And so when you sit there and you think that, oh, I'm this guy, you know, hanging out at home, like, I think that we see the base level. We see people who are untrained athletes or, you know, people who are just amateurs and they start taking something and then they, like, think, right? But you're talking about athletes in the top, like, 0.01%, right? Like the disparity in what's going to happen as they start to use is going to be far more in the margins, right? It's not going to be like if LeBron James is using, so was Booby Gibson, right? Yes. Like, okay. it, it, so when you sit there and you look at that, it's like, what's the advantage? It is the 1%. And sure, if someone's lying, then they should be, you know, okay, hey, let's when you excommunicate you for lying, like you can't break the rules. But it's the social, like, oh, you're a cheat because without that, you couldn't do any of that. And it's like, that's not true. That's not true at all. So I think changing that would happen if they were able to see like, oh, wait, all these people using drugs, even the 53rd man on the guy on the bench, right? The guy sitting down eating sandwiches and handing out water is also juicing. Practice okay. squad is juicing. Like, yes. Cheerleaders oh, right. yes. are juicing. They're all doing it. Like, but but I mean, it is important, right, to like look at the incentive structure, right? Like, what is the incentive? Is it, if the incentive is pushing you towards you have to do this to be competitive, then they're going to do it. And if I'm someone who is on the practice squad, and you're like, hey, you can take this shot, and you can be on the roster, and you can get paid, uh, you know, five hundred thousand dollar a year salary. Fuck yeah, I'm doing that shit, right? Like, that's the thing, right? Like the incentives push everyone towards that. Once one person does it and starts getting away with it, then all of a sudden everyone else has to do it. Otherwise you're left behind. And there aren't very many people that I can think of that morally and ethically would say no, if it was the difference between taking care of their livelihood and their family's livelihood and not and being poor. Moral. Huh? And being poor and moral. Yeah, exactly. Like no one is going to do it. No one's going to work their entire life at one thing, one sport, just to get all the way to like the, the, the precipice, the very, very top, just like they can see over the mountain, they can see the light. And then they're like, you know what? I'm just not going to, I, I, I can't do that. I, I morally I'm against it. Like, fuck that. They're all going to do it. Right. So, all right. That's, I think, do you have anything else on that? I think we can wrap that no, up. No, that was good. That was good. All right. Last one. All right. If you could only recommend one book, what would it be and why? 
Thanks, Lex. Do you do you know what mine would be? Um, you would it would it be Will? No, come on. Will is great though. Um, I'll give you one more yes, and then I'll just answer. Um, is it way of the superior man? No, god damn it! It's Think Again by Adam Grant. The oh, no, 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 no. Read oh, for it ever. Um, I, I I really do enjoy Will. What was great? It's probably one of my favorite autobiographies. That and uh, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Um, but Think Again, I think, is um really really cool. It's one of those books that uh, I think I would call it adult learning. You know, um, and it probably should be implemented in in schools as well. But I think you would have to be positioned different because it's, it's kind of catching us all in uh, this negative thought cycle or negative thought practices in the way that we are all so cemented to our thoughts, our ideals, our opinions, our, our feelings uh, about certain things that we've held even from childhood and they shape the way that we think as adults. And because they've been there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we never take an opportunity to like re-examine it as, is this the best way to think or feel or, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's a fantastic book. Adam Grant is a guy that is, uh, He's actually a heavy proponent of like the four day work week um, and just like human psychology in that space and how we can be more efficient human beings. And then I think that it's just one of those ones that everyone should read. Um, I think two of the big takeaways that I, I got from it um, would be like, don't marry your ideas or opinions. Uh, and the way he frames it essentially is that if you think that, you know, if, if you're pro-choice, right? And you're you're very much you're out there and you're you're going, you're going, you're going. And the reason why this is such a, a heavy argument is people are married to this idea. It, it marries their uh, idea of individualism and autonomy and freedom. And so for them, it's like, OK, this is this is me. And so when someone says, I disagree, you aren't attacking that person to them. Right. You're not disagreeing with an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so uh, it, it's it pretty much coaches you on how to one examine your own thoughts and ideals two encouraging rethinking and unlearning um in yourself and then also which i think is pretty interesting as a person who has had a, a pretty illustrious sales career in a different multitude of facets it's uh it's encouraging rethinking in others and how you know for me and you where we're fact-based we're logic-based and i'm sure that you've one quote unquote mini an argument with friends with Lex, et cetera, that you didn't really win because they're still pissed at you at the end. They still don't agree with you. They're still revolting and pushing against you. And it's like, no matter what you present that is semi irrefutable, they are still like, fuck you, you're wrong or fuck you. I don't agree. And it's like, dude, no, objectively I am right. Right. And, um, he kind of leads with this idea and he goes, if you've been here before, it's not because you're necessarily like, saying the wrong thing so much as the way you're presenting it and he goes into this whole experiment that they ran up in canada and uh, an anti-vax community where essentially doctors would go in regularly and just like talk to this community and tell them hey listen like vaccines are not responsible for your kids you know developing any sort of mental disabilities aren't responsible for hurting your kids here's the data and every time they did it the anti-vax community grew <laughs> and it got stronger and they were more anti-vax right um, it was only when they went in and they empowered the the thought processes and the things they knew to be true. Like these people are a good parent. They care about their kids. They care enough to revolt against the system and allowing them to take the data, digest it and make their own decisions what they wanted to do. Did they were they able to convert, quote unquote, 
some of the the families into like people who are going to vaccinate their kids. And it's just a super interesting book. It's not super long and it's a really easy read. Adam writes really well, very engaging, definite read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just on that note, uh, I, I don't think people really appreciate like having surrogate decision makers for them, right? Like someone telling them that they should believe X, Y, or Z because the data says X, Y, or Z. It doesn't invalidate what people are feeling on the inside, what they believe, right? Like it's really easy to say, well, that might be the data, but like I'm the exception to the data. We're the exception. We're the outlier, right? So you have to give people the tools to be able to make those decisions or feel like they're making those decisions or coming to those conclusions on their own. And then that's the only way that they'll be able to like change their mind about something, right? Like right. you can't tell someone to change their mind and then all of a sudden they'll, they just agree with you. No matter how many facts you give them, especially if it starts to become like an emotional argument or if they start to like ball up and they're like, no, fuck this. Like I'm invested in my side. Whatever you tell me, I'm just not going to believe you now because again, you're the enemy and you're, you're fighting me. You're fighting against my cause. So I definitely agree with you. My, my choice on this would be, um, it's kind of, I guess, cliche because I think everyone recommends it, but it's for a reason. Um, man's first man's search for meaning. Have you ever read it? Yeah, I haven't read that right now. Uh, I'm actually reading, reading it. It, yeah, so that was that was one where like, yeah, whenever whenever I read that, it was just um I mean it it's difficult to get through. Um for anyone who hasn't read it, it's basically like it's two parts, but the first part is essentially like uh an autobiographical account of a man, Victor Frankel, who was imprisoned in a concentration camp during World War II. Um, and he was kind of chronicling a lot of like the horrendous shit that was going on that he was seeing. Um, and he was essentially just talking about like, you know, the psychology of the inmate, but also like, you know, the guards, like the, the Nazis, the people who were in power there, like what compels people to treat others that way? And then if you're someone in, in that position, what compels you to still continue to fight on and like want to see the next day, not just kill yourself essentially. Right. Um, the second part of the book is more like a in-depth, like kind of like psychology review and him just kind of presenting um, I, I guess a lot of his, his findings and like his thoughts on, you know, again, you know, what meaning of life is, what, like what the purpose of everything is, like why we do continue to like wake up every day and try and be better. Um, and again, like what, what gives the purpose to life? And it sounds very, very like, you know, high level metaphysical. And, um, I guess it, it kind of is in a way, but it doesn't read that way. It's an incredibly easy read. But that's just one of those books, like you read it and you're just like, wow, holy shit. Like I am very grateful for what I have. And um, it just kind of grounds you. It's a very grounding book. It's something that I think, you know, anytime I struggle, I feel like I always want to just like go read that book because it will just remind me of like, okay, like nothing is that bad. Nothing is that bad, right? Um, but anyone who who is a consistent reader or an, an avid reader or... Um, an aspiring reader should definitely sit down and just like take a few days to read man's search for meaning. It will just, it will, it will change the way that you, you view your world and your life. Word. And, um, have you started this yet? Have you read this untethered soul? I, I, it's what is, untethered soul. No, I haven't. I, I, I have it, but I haven't read it. So I hear it's great. Um, so I'm going to put the toss in there as an honorable mention. Obviously it's a New York bestseller, but, uh, all my friends keep telling me to read it. And so, uh, Kelly was actually the last one. She's like, Chris, you have to read this book. I was like, all right, dude, fair enough. Um, Kelly, I do with my like, yep. you said what? 
if Kelly recommended, I'm not going to read it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I think that is it. That was actually like pretty fun. We got off on some pretty good side tangents that I think made for some really good conversation. So that was good. Um, we'll make sure we mix these in occasionally. Definitely make sure that you guys toss us questions. Give us more and more and more. What we'll do is we'll just continue to drop them in a bank um, and we'll take training questions, things that we kind of just accumulate over time. And then obviously uh, any interesting topics that kind of come up within our own family community, et cetera, we'll kind of, you know, um, cash those for for things like this. And then we'll, you know, get on here and hash them out. Maybe eventually we'll start inviting some uh, some others to, to jump in here with us. Uh, but yeah, no, thank you all for, for tuning in to this installment of the P2 podcast. Again, that can be heard on... YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, any place that will take our fucking money uh, because we want to talk to you guys because if you guys can't tell, we love talking. So um, with that being said, I don't think I have anything else. Bryce, you want to say bye to the people or are you just ready to roll? I have nothing. I'm hungry. Bet. All right, guys. Thank you. Later.